Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff After Hours. I'm your host, Bill Cannon. I'm a 27-year retired NYPD sergeant from Manhattan North Homicide Squad. And with me tonight, uh, Mark took off because he's got a comedy show, is the very capable, very funny, very personable Phil Grimaldi. How are you doing tonight, Phil? Pretty good, Bill. Thank you for having me back. It's, hey, it's great, man. You're, what, you're one of the best substitute hosts on the planet. And uh, whenever I can use you, I'll have you here. And we have a, a, an unbelievable guest, a blast from the past. Some of you old-time cops may know him. But it's Joe Cirillo. Joe was a 20-year veteran out of the 2-0. But more than just being a cop, he's a Korean War veteran. And he also made his, some bones in the show business world, in, both in security and as an actor. He worked for a while as Telly Savalas' bodyguard, but he did security. He was, actually had a small part in The Godfather. And without further ado, let's introduce him. Joe Cirillo, welcome to Police Off the Cuff After Hours. I'm glad to be here, believe me. It's so My good God, to be here. You, you know, we were talking. I won't tell the crowd uh, how old you are, but you look just, you look fantastic. But thank you. He, thank he you. sure does, Bill. He sure does. He hey, sure does. That one. <laughs> I put the fountain of youth in the book. When you finish reading, you'll understand it. Well, there's your book. I mean, you, oh, don't, oh. you okay. don't look that much different. We are, For you people listening, we have a copy of his book, An Offer I, I Couldn't Refuse on the Screen, From the NYPD to Hollywood, Joe Cirillo. And I mean, God, you on the Upper West Side looking like that back in the day, the women must have been hey. driving through the windows of the radio car. <laughs> <laughs> that was back in 1977. So Wow, you're looking good. Yeah. You're looking good. And I, here's another one. Yeah. Oh, oh my that, God. Yeah, that's me in the tool. They must have I, been throwing panties through the window. In fact, <laughs> in fact, that's my first headshots. You know, I did the one of the one of the cops in the precinct was a photographer. He took those photos, so I saved a lot of bucks. Wow, <laughs> that, that's that was my first headshot for the for a movie business. Hey, Joe, that is yeah. a true testament of life after the job between your 20-year career and now that book and every el everything else you did, which we're going to go through, I'm sure. But that's a true testament when people say, is there life after the job? I think you're proof. Oh, really no, I, I, I really can't complain. I um, I had a good life, really. Thank you. It was God great. Bless you. Yeah. Yeah, it's been good. And right from the time I retired, I shouldn't say that. I should say from... Being a cop in the 20th precinct and right through, right till present day, great. Everything was great. I met so many people, befriended a lot of actors, actresses. Who wants better than that? I mean, I had I had the best of all. Yeah. Well, you know, back in the day, you came on in 1957. Right. And you uh so you were on from 57 to 1977, but the 2-0 precinct. On the Upper West Side, which covers 59th Street to 86th Street from uh, Central Park West to Riverside Drive, was a rocking place back then, right? Well, no, what I'm, what I'm saying is actually in that time, it was from 66th to 86th. And also, it was oh, Manhattan. That was, that was before yeah, called terminality, right? Terminality. Yeah. And, and in addition, it was Manhattan South. We have Manhattan South, Manhattan North. Then it was Manhattan East and West. It was totally different. Yeah. Wow. But, the, but back the, then, as far as drugs, you had the big drug was heroin, right? Yeah, they had they had all kinds of problems, especially in the uh, around Columbus Avenue and the eighty fourth Street in Amsterdam Avenue in that area. All drugs. It was really bad area. Wow. Yeah. And you I mean, worked. Yeah, I, we were talking before. You worked with some old time hairbags that I knew because I worked in the two old <laughs> precinct uh, yes. from from nineteen eighty five to like eighty eight. Then I left for street crime. And, and you worked with my old partner, Vinny Lupinacci. Yeah, who became the community affairs guy. And I said, you know, Vinny Lupinacci. I, I love the guy. He was, he was a yeah. sweet guy. He's a great. He guy. could uh, he could pick your pocket and pat you on the back at the same time. <laughs> and he loved to eat. That's right. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, yeah. That, that sounds like the Italian in him. That's right. Yeah, oh, my goodness. He was great. And then, of course, I had Jerry Giorgio, who you also knew, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, one of the real top detectives in the department. Yeah. So I, I had really good partners. I, Like I said, I enjoyed the 20th precinct. It was great. Well, you grew up in the South Bronx, right? Yes, I grew up in the 4-0 precinct. I actually lived in, a, we started 138th Street, then I lived on 145th, and finally 148th Street. 
So it's all all in the confines of the 4-0. Well, you know, I read your book and you said as a kid you like to pitch pennies. And uh, when <laughs> yes. you pitch pennies, you when you won, you would immediately go to the movies. Right, exactly. You were a yeah. huge movie fan, right? Yeah. Oh, I my my sister, my older sister took me to movies. I, I must have been about five. And I remember I loved the movies. Every chance I got, I'd go to the movies. Like you said, with pitch pennies, play bankers and brokers. I slipped the pennies in my shoe or in my back pocket. As soon as I said I got enough for the movie, I had a nickel or a dime, whatever the price was. And then I said, I'm broke. And then I'd run to the movies. So I was a big, <laughs> big fan of the movies. Yes, yes. And that's it what was, inspired you to try to get involved in it once you became a cop, right? Yeah. Well, that was that was luck. That was fortunate that, you know, I met a lot of people. Uh, I was assigned to the Museum of Natural History. And right across the street is the Beersford Apartments. And in that building, uh, Stephen Eady lived there, uh, Abe Burroughs, uh, Alan Funt, uh, Leonard Lyons. Uh, there were so many stars there. And Mike Nichols, big Broadway producer. He was, he was married to Diane Sawyer, right? Yes, yes. He passed away a couple of years ago. Yeah. But anyway, he's the one that really got me my shot at, in the movies. Yeah. That's he. A, that's he he, what, what he actually did was, I, you know, I, I used to hang out. It was like it was sort of my coop. You know, when I went to meal or anything, or if I wanted to take a little break, I went into his office. So we became good friends. And when The Godfather came out, he said, uh, how would you like to be a, an actor and work in the movies? I said, I, I like it, but I'm not an actor. He says, don't worry, we'll make you one. And, <laughs> and he set up an interview with Paramount Pictures. I went down in uniform. And I was in, uh, I, I, her last name was Eastman. I don't recall her first name, but she interviewed me and she said, uh, uh, what makes you think you can act? I says, hey, I'm a cop. We were doctors, we're lawyers, we're psychiatrists. We do everything. She says, you're right. And they gave me a little shot in the, in the Godfather. That's so that's fantastic. why I pulled the book and off, I couldn't refuse. That's, <laughs> that's the name of your book. Yeah. You, yes, you, yes. And that was the, the phrase in the Godfather, you know. Yeah. So I thought it was appropriate. Hey, Make Joe, it. what part did you play in The Godfather? That's here's the best. <laughs> uh, I, I I did uh, a couple of scenes. I had lines. You won't see it in the movie. They never put it in the movie, okay? Uh, but you'll see me in certain scenes. Now, since 1972, 73, I get residuals almost every month from The Godfather till today. Wow. I'm still getting checks. Every time it's shown, I get a check. You know, yeah. your, your son said in, in the uh, live chat, he said, dad's using old police terms. Coop. Many of the younger cops will oh. not know the term. <laughs> we know that. We know that term. The coop. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the coop was where we hung out. You know, you want to take a break. You know, of course, the shoe flies were after and the shoe flies. Were the, you know who they were. They, hey, Joe, they were after the cop that was offbeat or off, off post. Yeah. What? When the department yeah. would have a, a list of corruption-prone locations, and you yes. look at them and you say, I didn't even know about these. Now that I do, I'm going to go there, you know? <laughs> hey, we actually ran away from them sometimes. That's right. the, the, the guys that were cooping, that's how they started the rings, right? When you did yeah. a link tour, you had to do a ring every hour because they called yeah, guys right. That's and it, right. We, and we in, and in, I was a transit cop for a year in transit. They had these rooms that were secreted back in the tunnels in the transit authority. Beautiful rooms. Yeah. And guys would, you know, would would, uh, would take a little break there. Yeah. Well, but I think know, that's we, how the ring started with, uh, with guys got caught cooping. Yeah. Well, you know, we had a fly every time we second tour. Now, flying, you know what it is, but... The public don't know what it means, but it means they're sending you to another precinct to work instead of your own. A lot of times it was the embassies and the 19th precinct. We used to go to Central Park, go to Harlem in the 2-8, and also 3-4 precinct. There was a park there where one kid was killed, so they always had police up in that area. And we would we were sent there. And I remember once I was with another guy and the shoe fly came and he's chasing us all over the place. We we hit out and we he never caught us. So you know, that Joe, was, that, that's that another that, that was that's another cop term that people might not know. Shoe fly. That's the yeah. captain whose job it was yeah, to supervise a division, basically, right? right? Exactly. And a ring. Let me explain a ring. A ring is when you're doing a, a tour, an eight-hour tour on a midnight, 
you'd have to come in and, and physically report to the desk every hour or by phone and yes. let them know that you were, you know, you were, you know, you weren't no. sleeping. Hey, you still when, when you were assigned your post, you got a number 27, 32. So 32 minutes past the hour you called in. If your number right. was 17, 17 minutes after the hour you called in, that was so they could give you an assignment and also to find out if you're still there and right. also, you know, that everything's okay. So yeah, yeah, that that was the ring, and and in those days we had nothing. We had we didn't have what they have today. No radios, no bulletproof vests. The only weapon we had was the uh, nightstick and the gun, of course. And your brain, you had your brain. Oh too. wow! Yeah. And how you really need. So you had to have a good line of shit to talk yourself oh, yeah. out of a lot of stuff back then, right? <laughs> I'm sure. Oh, yeah. yeah, no, but like I said, they were good days. In fact, the very first time I was uh, sent to the two uh, O. Uh, they, I, I, midnight tour, and it was November twenty fourth, I think it was, and and it was the night they blown up the balloons for the Thanksgiving Day parade. Oh, I so, used to love that. I take my kids to see that. Yeah, and it was great. Right. Here I am. I'm I'm there, and I'm watching them blow up the balloons, and everybody's walking around. It was like a lot of festivities going on. People are enjoying themselves. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was you know, for the good. most part, the people in the two O like the police. Uh, yeah, it, it's a very liberal area, but they like the police, though. Yes, I, I, you know, when you were assigned the post, I guess you know that. And what I did, I went to every store keeper. I let them know who I was, and after a while, I, they became my friends. Really, even the people on the on the on the street, the mothers of children, and everything. When I crossed the kids, we had one one guy. His name was Al Shepard. Did you know Al Shepard by any chance? That name sounds familiar. Yeah, he was in the emergency service. Right, right. He's probably yeah, the most decorated, yeah. one of the most decorated cops. He became a cop because of me. That's what he said. He always said, Joe Cirillo, I followed his, in his footsteps. Yeah, but he was a great guy. Yeah. That's fantastic. You know, we have uh, Lieutenant Peter Pranzo from Harlem Raiders fame. He has a book out. Yeah. He was a legendary lieutenant from the 3-2, and then he went to street crime. And he has a book out, Harlem Raiders, and he's wait. He's been waiting years for them to option that for a TV show or a movie too. Oh wow! It's such a tough, tough business to oh, get. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. You know? Well, I worked on my book for quite a while. I didn't have anybody help me. Everything I wrote myself. In, in the end, it was really my son Dennis, who's retired. He was a lieutenant. It, he helped me uh, clean it up a little, and he's the one that put it out there, and he's the one that published it for me, self-publishing. So. I, I got to give him all the credit in the world. Yeah. But, well, he's had a he's had a good pop to teach him the right way, you know. <laughs> Actually, he followed in my footsteps. Really, you oh, know, I was great. in uh, I I was in headquarters in operations, chief of field service. Then I worked for the commission. I did a lot of things for the commission. All the chiefs. I had, I had one of the best jobs. And my son actually ended up in police headquarters. The same thing: operations and DCPI. So wow. he, he had a good tour, yeah. yeah so you, you know, obviously you know Joe Lisi because you were at the oh, police yeah, off the Joe. cuff night at Bordeaux. Yeah, yeah my, son, my son Dennis was one of his sergeants. Right, you know, right. But, but Joe Lisi is probably the most successful cop actor, actor in, the yeah, in the history of the department. Yeah, he's, he's on everything. Very well, on. yes. Yeah. Joe, I, I did pretty good. I, I can't, But Joe Lisi, yeah. Joe Lisi, Joe Lisi is a good actor. He's a natural, really. Right, he's a legitimate a legitimate actor and there's a oh, new yeah. guy there's a young guy now just retired a sergeant his name's michael devine and oh, he's been know. he was just in a movie with nicole kidman oh okay and yeah he's he's a hell of an actor he's done a lot of stuff too and he's sure, got yeah. some voice he, he he didn't always play a uh, a cop too he played i think i saw him in a couple of things where he played like a wise guy and stuff so yeah, yeah. he's pretty yeah. personal joe you know yeah, well he would I play a lawyer he'd play a lawyer a lot yes too. Yeah. Oh, that's uh, order, I think he was a lawyer. I either played a hood or a cop, but most of the time is a cop. There's a fine line between the two, Joe. You that's know right. what I mean? There's always a fine yeah. line there. My but big thing with Joe. Basically, Joe, what you're describing about the police department, there's a saying, and they say, I had a front row seat to the greatest show on earth. And you're I right. think that you're, you're really right. Described totally that. right. Totally yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. But you know, Joe, I, you, I, must, you must have been the keeper of the contract too, because you had these connections. Probably every cop and his brother and his family were saying, "Hey, could you get me a part in this movie?" Could yeah, you and do I this did. For me? I, I got uh, Lupinacci and his family. I got them working in The Godfather too. That's and amazing. A couple other cops, yeah, I helped them out. <laughs> yeah, and then I did a lot of modeling, and I had cops in the precinct 
do modeling with me, you know. So yeah, I read in your book you got in trouble with your wife one time when uh, you got a little too friendly oh, with the wow. model. And how? She was like naked, laying on your lap <laughs> on the couch or something. I don't yeah, know how I, you explain I, that one away. That was, it was a love scene. It was a love scene. Hey, I was just no, acting. That's hey, hey, acting. Hey. They told me to report to this uh, apartment house. They, I'd done many modeling jobs. So when I got there, the guy says, all right, I was wearing a suit and tie. He says, you're going to go in the room. She's going to take off your jacket and take pictures of that. Then it, it ended up she's on the couch, and, and she has a towel on. She's And, and I... I'm chest up, nothing on. Okay, so we I lay on top of her. And That's what you told your wife. <laughs> <laughs> they tuck in the towel, and when it came out in the magazine, it looked like the two of us were nude. And my sister gives me up. She saw it in the magazine, and she went to my wife. She says, "You let your husband do this." That was oh the. Oh my end. god! I, and and I kept explaining it. No, I said there was a her mother was there. The, uh, the, uh, the photographer, the female, she says, yeah, and the priest was there. Yeah, <laughs> right. He yeah. probably made you see a priest after that one. Yeah, confession that on that one, on, uh, on yeah. confession, yeah. One, th one time I, <laughs> I had one modeling job where I walk in, and the guy, and there's a young girl there, and he said, all right, here's what we're going to do. You're going to kiss her for a full hour. And that's all we did was kiss for a full hour. Never told my wife about that one. That's a tough job, but someone's yeah, got to do it. Yeah, yeah. But I bet true. your jaw was pretty happy to on your lips. <laughs> One hour. Of I mean, just taking a breath or two and then go right back into it. All different passionate kisses for an hour. And I got paid for it. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, let yeah. me ask something. When you did a modeling job like that, what was the pay like? Oh, like uh, they, they like $100 for an hour. You know, if it went over, you get two hundred dollars. And back then, back then, that was good money, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, hundred dollars an hour. Yeah, and I, I did a couple of covers, like uh, Private Detective magazines. If they're in the book, I believe. Yeah, yeah, I did a couple you know, of covers. So, so was... we we get calls all the time now. Uh, I know Phil does, and I do by these TV shows that yeah. do these like homicide recreations, right? But they're so used to using cops. And they don't mention any money till you say, whoa, 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 wait a second. I get <laughs> 500 true. a day plus expenses. All of a sudden, they're not interested anymore. <laughs> for, in a, for the first 10 minutes, they're your best friend. Then yeah, as soon as you mention money, because cops sell themselves short. And well, a lot of them, they do this stuff for nothing. And so yeah, they're so used to. It's true. It's true. The guy, yeah, the guy tried to get me, oh, would you write this up for us? I said, yeah, as soon as I have a contract in front of me. Yeah. And then he kept trying to like, well, how do I, I'll talk to my people. Yeah. Talk to your people, send the contract, and then we'll do all the talking you want. Yeah. Right. Well, you, yeah. you know, Sonny Grasso, you guys heard of Sonny yeah, Grasso. Yeah. Yeah. Sure, of course. Met well, him many Sonny times. became a producer. I worked for him a few times. And uh, what he used to do is calling cops. They go to his office. He'd give them a hundred dollar bill and say, tell me your story. And if he liked the story, he made a they made a screenplay out of it, and that's a, most of his shows were based on cop stories. That's what he did. Look, every cop that does 20, 25 years, thirty years has some unbelievable stories. Exactly, exactly. And you know, but your, your best stories you should keep to yourself because no yeah. one's paying you for them. You know. Yeah, I, I have twelve screenplays wow. that I wrote. You know. Wow. And, and it's some from things that I was involved in. Others just made them up. You know. Or heard stories, but I have 12 screenplays. So anybody out there wants a, a good screenplay, hey, get a hold of me. I got to, yeah. Hey, Joe, you know, me and Bill met. There was a television show called The Perfect Murder that uh, Kevin Kaufman and Rick Torelli, who's a retired detective as well, they had this show where they would recreate, uh, you know, murder cases. Yes, yes. Bill, Bill had did it a few times. And my first day on the set, I showed up. I was early. I thought I was in the wrong place. Anyhow, Bill comes and I start, I say, you got to be with this thing. I recognized he was a cop right away, you know? And, right. and I said, listen, I'm a little nervous that, you know, uh, what's this all about? He goes, Phil, just follow my lead. You know, we're going to just act like we were, you know, interviewing people, like, just like you would do on a job. And before, you know, we did a few scenes and then I, I went on to do like three episodes. I think Great. Bill did about what? You do about 10? Uh, I I did six of them. Yeah. Six. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. That. Hey. 
Your it, show business too. Yeah, it, it was really a great experience. It was unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, you know, the cameras, the the microphones, oh, and yeah, the yeah. tape on the floor, and it was like, wow, this is like real acting, you know. And, uh, oh, and all the all the stallets that were throwing their panties at you, all of that stuff. <laughs> yeah, don't tell my wife. My wife watches this show. Well, that's a joke. She's supposed to know about those that, never, that never happened, but it happened yeah. to Joe. No, no. I think. You know, you know the funny thing about it was there would be extras that, you know, that they had these little, uh, if they had like one sentence, they were like, oh my God, I got a line. Meanwhile, we were in it, you know, you're on, you're on right, a show for right, a yeah. hour talking and, and the camera's on you. It was really a lot more exposure than most, you know, actors get, you know, and, and, yeah, and like yeah. their, whole, their whole lifetime, maybe a 10 year career, 20 year career or whatever, you know? You yeah. know, was, Joe, in the beginning of the show, they didn't give us a script. They just let us, they tell All us right. the situation and right. they let us improv it. Great. And that was great. It was easy. You know, you're just doing what yeah, you do on your job. But then as the show got better and better and bigger audience, they all of a sudden were like, no, you got to learn the lines. We were like, oh, yeah. shit. <laughs> but I'm talking about they'd give us a script of, you know, we'd have tons of lines and we'd have like three days to learn it, right? Yeah, yeah right, yeah. right. I had a situation like that where I, I, I got one of the leads in a movie that was filming in the Carolinas. And I, I studied my lines. I was in front of the mirror acting it out. And I, I had to tape the recording and I was doing lines against the tape. And then I flew down to uh, North Carolina. First day of shooting, we get up there and he says, all right, this is the scene we're doing. And I, I start doing it and he goes, oh, oh, cut. He said, what are you doing? I said, what do you mean? I'm, what am I doing? I'm doing my lines. He says, what lines? He says, that's not the lines. I says, yeah. He says, oh, we changed the script. And then from then on, <laughs> I had to sit with the writer who gave me the lines, and I had to learn the lines and, and shoot the scene. So it was very difficult because I still had the old lines in me, and I'm mixing them up. But I know. Uh, that's it's, it's, yeah. it's, You know, it takes, it takes a lot of time to memorize lines, but once you get your brain to start doing that, yes, it yes. gets easier. You know, it's yeah. true. It's I, true. I, you know, I took acting class and I did I did this one monologue that Al Pacino does in that football movie. I forget the name of it. Oh, okay. but it's a long monologue where he's talking to the team. Yeah, they always want a monologue. You're right. Yeah, and I was like, and it was a like two, three page monologue, and I was like, holy shit, I actually memorized this thing, you know. Yeah, but it I took know. me a long time to do it, but it, you know, it may it definitely helps your brain when you do yeah. that. Well, you know, no, I don't know if you remember, but that happened to me and you when we were doing the scene on that uh, on the in the case with the with, with the cigarette. Remember when I was smoking a cigarette? Uh -huh. You were supposed to be smoking a cigarette, and you were supposed to be feeding me the lines, and I was supposed to be answering. Or, or was it was actually backwards? Right, and they switched it on us. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they said no. You got the cigarette, so we had to switch our lines. But but we got through it. We did it in a, you know a couple yeah. of scenes, I guess. But uh, not, yeah, not that's a little nerve wracking. But you know what? It's totally different for stars. You know, I, I was picked up in the uh, series I Shied. It was about Chief C. Joe, Joe Don Baker, who was the walking right. tall. He was walking yes, tall. Yes, yes, the greatest guy. And I played his driver, Detective Malfatano. And Joe couldn't remember his lines for anything. He had his lines on the dashboard when we were driving. He had two guys with cue cards standing alongside the camera so he can read his lines. He never could re he never could remember his lines. I mean, he remembered them, but you know, he needed the help of the cue card. Yeah, yeah, and yet if you make a mistake, they're all over you. Hey, what, what come on? But they could do it, you know. Yeah, no I, I read that one thing where you were doing a movie with um what's his name? This muscle bound guy who in uh Death Wish, uh, Charles Bronson. Oh, Charles Charlie Bronson. Bronson. And, and you were supposed to be leaning into the radio car, and he had to throw his hat in there or something. Yeah, you, were, yeah. you were in his way, and he called you a dummy or something. Yeah, yeah, an effing dummy. <laughs> effing dummy, that's right. You, got, dummy, you were a little yes. pissed, right? Oh, yeah. And, and the funny thing about it was I, I worked in the first Death Wish. Uh, I believe that was the – yeah, that was the second one, a third. I've worked in a couple of them. But anyway – the director gave told me, you know, Mr. Oh, here's the best part. I'm there because I have a role. I'm a cop who's shot in the hallway. So now I'm standing on the side with a bunch of movie cops all in uniform. So the director comes out and he comes over and he says, you come over here. And I walk over and he says, I want you to do. I said, oh, I can't do that. He says, I'm the director. You do what I want. I said, oh, okay. So he says, the car is going to pull up. Mr. Bronson's going to come out of the car. 
He's going to get out of the car. And once he gets out of the car, you lean in and talk to the driver. So we did it. I did it that way. Cut. Let's do it again. We do it again. The same thing. Car pulls up. He drives out. I walk, lean in. Cut. What is, what's wrong with you? What are you doing? I said, that's what you told me to do. He said, no, he's taking off his hat and he's going to throw it in the car. I said, you never told me that. And that's when they call me an effing dummy. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. But anyway, from that, I, I, Charles Bronson was my favorite actor. And after that, I says, I, I have no, I don't, I don't even want to look at this guy. That's how bad I felt. Yeah, but then yeah. working with Telly, Telly and Paul Paterni, they were his friends. And they told me, oh, Joe, he's the greatest guy in the world. And I never got a chance to see him and, you know, say, hey, you remember what happened? But after that, I said, I understood. I, understood. I read somewhere he was like almost like a liberal. You know, he wasn't like everybody thought he was pro-cop and everything. Charles Bronson I'm talking about. Was, was he was he liberal? Yeah, I, I really don't know because I, I you know, I, I the only thing I did scenes with him. Other than that, I, I didn't know his private life, you know. Yeah. I, I, I wasn't with him in, uh, where I had a conversation. I tell you, he was he was really jacked back then. He was so muscular. Was he? Oh one yeah, of the first, was, he was he a roid always. monster back then or what? He he was. Well, I, I I you saw the movies I saw and he was he was, he was ripped back in the day and I was like, yeah. wow, how did, you know that was in the sixties. I right. mean, I didn't have, you know, the roids they had back then were like swine hormones, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, was it like him and, and Telly met on the Dirty Dozen? Is that how? Oh you, yeah. They, well, they, they, you know, when they when the actors they become friends from the different movies they work in, sure. you know, and uh, I guess they became friends from that, but uh, they would see each other. They have lunch together. You know, I remember once I'm in the hotel with the uh, telly and we're having breakfast and who's there with us, Jack Palance. Yeah. And I was talking to him and everything. Yeah. And say, Oh, this is great. Here I am. I'm, I'm sitting with the biggest guys in Hollywood, you know, Those are with, big name superstars, boy. Yeah. Yeah. Joe, when you, uh, when you were in this, Running with these people, did they accept you as one of them, or or you always the outsider? No, no, that's the strange thing. I for some reason they all took a liking to me. I like I was one of their buddies. T Telly treated me like forget it. I mean, he he was an incredible man, and and the the, the way he played the role of Kojak, that was really him. He's doing himself, but he was the sweetest man. I I that's one guy. Tops, real tops. Yeah. Joe, we're gonna we're gonna go to a quick commercial, and then we're gonna get into your relationship with Telly Savalas, okay, and all of that stuff. Because yeah, it's, it's I want to really... hear about that Kojak. That was a great. Yeah, show. That, that's a that really fascinating thing. Yeah, I'll tell you. Any of you folks getting sick and tired of the high taxes of New York, the crazy politics, and you want to move down south? Well, Carol Waters is a realtor down in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For twenty years, she worked as a bartender at Fitzpatrick's Hotel in Midtown. Her husband, Rob Mayen, was on the NYPD. He rolled over to the fire department. Together now, they are a team of real estate salespeople down in Myrtle Beach, and they work for the Beach Realty Group. So if you're looking for a rental or any a buy a house or a condo down in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, give Carol Waters a call, 914-261-6681, or you can email her at carolwaterssellsmyrtlebeach at gmail.com. You won't be sorry. They're two of the most knowledgeable people <clears throat> on Myrtle Beach, South Carolina real estate. You ready for your commercial, Phil? Yes, I am. <laughs> there he is, Joe Murray, attorney at law, jmurraylaw.com. Joe is not only an experienced NYPD retired police officer, he's also an attorney, so he knows the law from both ends. You can get Joe at Joe at jmurraylaw.com and his website, jmurraylaw.com. He's out in Great Neck, but he handles all criminal cases in the New York area. You could also get him at 646-838-1702. That's Joe Murray Law. At a, he's an attorney, jmurraylaw.com. Great supporter of police off the cuff. He sure is. And I also, he has a mean left hook. He used to fight on the PBA boxing team. So you don't you don't want to mess with Joe Murray. He's got some great stories when it comes he, to the boxing. Boy. He, he sure yeah. does. He look and you know he really should be on the can of Dinty Moore stew because he looks like that guy <laughs> with the beard and everything, right? 
he's re- he's really good because we did obviously a lot of segments with Joe, myself, Bill, and I did right. on another podcast with him. And he's very articulate. And I threw a couple of things at him, uh, you know, like law stuff. And he came right back. I, I'm sure he's a great attorney. He's very experienced and he's great. a great attorney. Very and good. he's also been on several episodes of The Perfect Murder, too. All of these yes. great people. Oh. Perfect right. murder, right? Yeah. Perfect yeah. murder turned out some good people, huh? You're right. You're right. Yeah, totally right. Yeah. So, Joe, let's get into uh, how you met Tony Sopalis. Well, as you know, I was an actor in the, from 72 on. I joined Screen Actors Guild. I was working a lot of movies as cops. And I befriended the head of the movie TV unit, became friends with the guys then. Anyway, in 1976, the Kojak series, which was shot in California, and they decided they wanted to come to New York and shoot a full season in New York. Prior to that, all they did was come in for a week or two and take what they call stock shots. They had Tully go into a grocery store, come out, go into a building, come out, driving up this street, and then they insert it with the shots in California. So they decided to come to New York, and then they said, you know, Telly's so popular now, we're going to need somebody as sort of a bodyguard with them. So they went to the police department. The producers went to, uh, uh, I don't know if it was the commissioner's office or wherever, and they said, this is what we're looking for. We want to get a cop who can do security for Telly and also, you know, uh, know something about movies. So they said, we got the right guy for you, and they assigned me. So. I was assigned to that, and I stayed with them a whole year. I'm, and, and, and after that one whole year with him, it was incredible. Because like I said, I was getting paid. I was working five days a week with them. I was getting paid from the department. I was getting paid from the Universal. So it was really great. I, I was making a lot of money. And Tully was the greatest guy. I mean, incredible person. Joe, did he share his lollipops with you? <laughs> <laughs> no, well, we had them, you know, when I went there to work. He offered me, in fact, he said to me, that was my second big offer, the offer I couldn't refuse. Uh, when we finished the New York shoot, he said, Joe, when, when can you retire? I says, I can get out in two months. He says, you come out to California, you got a job. I said, okay, I'll take you up on that. And that's what I did. I went out, when I retired, I went out to the coast and Tully put me to work and I was doing, uh, I was the technical advisor out there and I, getting all the roles, you know, any roles, small roles. In fact, I have never paid, I made a ton of money in this business. I have never paid an agent 10%. I always, I made the money on my own. All the roles I had, even in series I shot, I, shied, I got a co-starring role with Joe Don Baker. And I got it myself just to help out with the uh, with producers and so on. I did everything on that show. So, it was very, very, very rewarding. In fact, well, you also said something like being a technical advisor. Sometimes the director wouldn't always listen to you, and a scene would come out oh, all yeah. screwed up. Oh, yeah, when we they had did. That. In fact, we had one where we were shooting on, um, uh, I think it was Lafayette in, in the Bowery section, and, and it was uh, a hostage situation. So I read the script. I used to sit in the production office. You know, we all were there, and we. Uh, if you were the technical advisor, you 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 said this has to be changed, that has to be changed. If your wardrobe, you say this is what they have to work. But we all work together. So now I get this script about a hostage situations. So I went to police headquarters. I talked to the two hostage negotiators, the big ones, and uh, I said, "How would we do this scene?" So he he told me I was there maybe an hour and hour and a half. And, and you you spoke to the Frank Bowles. Frank Bowles and the legendary, and the, the, the legendary was captain. Another, yeah, started. Frank and Bowles. He's yes. the one that started the uh, hostage. Yes, right. It was him. So what happened was now now we we're going over to do the scenes, and I'm I'm setting up guys, and then he starts. No, no, no. I want the guy here. Went there, and I said to him, I said, No, you you can't do that. He says, Don't tell me what I can do. I'm the director. I said, Okay, right. Okay, then you do it. He did it. The next day, we went to the uh, to look at the dailies. You know, look at the what they shot. The producers came over to me and they started yelling, "What the hell was that? Who did that scene?" And I explained to him, "I didn't do that." I says, "He said he's the director and he wanted to do it." He took me to the director, stopped the shooting, and he said, "If Joe Cirillo says the scene is wrong, you don't shoot it." 
or else he comes to us. And that director never talked to me again. Like yeah, it was of course not. But yeah. you know something? You got to look out for yourself too. Right? Yeah, because it was really wrong, a lot of things. Like one one time they had in the script, Telly Savalas is chewing out a four-star chief. I said, wait a minute. Yeah, no, that doesn't happen. It never happened. He said, well, can we take a little poetic license and do it? I said, no way. Everybody in the – even the civilians would know that. that of course. A anybody in the military would know that. Anybody that yeah, was ever of course. anywhere would know that. Four-star chief. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, but if you looked at it, he was a lieutenant. Half the time he was telling the captain in the squad what to do, if you noticed that. But you, you know, know something? Even on NYPD Blue – the detectives always go into like the door first, and ESU is there, and you everyone knows if ESU is there, you They're going stay through. behind them. They're going through yeah. the door first, right. you know? and they always have Sipowitz going through with this little five shot. Yeah, chief, right. right. You're yeah, like, what right. the hell are they it's doing? True. It's true. You know, it's yeah, funny. ESU follows up, them, right? It's funny you brought up NYPD Blue, Bill, because I went to Hollywood. I, you know, went with Bill Clark. He was the executive producer. Oh, yeah, Bill Clark was, yeah. And there was a few times when you know, I was present during scenes and they would say, cut, and he would say, listen, you're not doing it right. You got to do it this way. Da, da. And the director would say, well, you know what, for the film, he goes, well, if you want to do it wrong, that's fine with me, but the right way to do it is this. And a couple of times he would win and sometimes the director oh, yeah, would get yeah. his way, you know. But, well, but you yeah. know what everyone always loves, Phil? They love reading Miranda. And you and I know that makes oh, you right. sick. When they, they when they lock them up, they're always like, you have the right to it. We all know that never, ever, yeah. ever, ever, ever happens. As they're putting handcuffs on, they're reading. I'm like, right. Oh, and it's so know. sickening. But the, the Hollywood directors, they love that. They shit, love that. You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I'll tell you an incident we had. Uh, you, you know Eddie Egan, right? Yeah. So, I do. French Connection, well, yeah. Well, yeah. We, we, we both worked in Eyeshide. He played Chief uh, Parks. I played Detective Malfatano. So for that show, he was the uh, technical advisor for detectives, and I was for the street scenes, the cop. So anyway, there was one incident where one of the stars shoots uh, an actor, uh, and, and he, he falls on an escalator, and, and the escalator is taking him to the top. So now the cop, the detective who's there, has to run up to the top of the stairs and wait for him to come up. So he said, how would I shoot this scene? I said, look, you know, there's so many different ways. I explained different ways. I said, I remember one of my one of my partners, he shot and killed a guy, and, and he left the scene. We didn't know where the hell he went, and, and he ended up in the, waking up a priest in the middle of the night and telling him, you got to hear my confession. And and that bothered him so much, and he, he actually died of a heart attack at 32. So I mentioned that. Then I mentioned a, a, a couple other things. Incident. I told him one incident I was involved in. And then I, I mentioned also, I said, and if it was Eddie Egan, he'd probably kick him and say, get the hell out of here, you know, something like that. <laughs> so he, he decided to do it with the way the, the first one, where emotionally he's, he's shaking like a leaf. So the director said, yeah, we'll do it that way. We shot it. The next day, the producer comes on the set, stops the shooting. He says, I want to see Joe Cirillo and Harvey Laidman, the director. Takes us out in the hall. He reamed me. He said... He said, uh, uh, Eddie Egan said, no cop would ever do that. No cop would ever do that. I says, oh, wait a minute. I says, you don't know. He says, you know, as a cop, I don't know myself what's going to happen when I'm with a gun and a guy in front of me. So he said, well, that's it. He says, you're finished as a technical advisor, and your job as an actor is also in jeopardy. He said, now get back to the set. And he left. So I got back to the set, and I was all upset, I guess. And, and Joe Don Baker said to me, what's the matter, Joe? And I explained it. He says, what? He left it set. He went to the producer and he said, if Joe Cirillo's off of it, I'm out of the series. And he reinstated me right then and there. Wow. Joe Don Baker. And that's a true story. True story. But, you know, there, also, there are cops that uh, would get super upset at a shooting like you're talking about. Of course. About. And then there's cops that, you know, they could uh, go have a milkshake. You know? Yeah, right. And, yeah, of course. It's just, no one knows different... how to react. Right, I'll different you, personalities. All of us. I mean, I was in a couple of shootings. I was in a couple of shootings and two shootings, and both times the guys were shooting me first. I didn't feel too bad out to be afterwards. I mean, you know, okay, obviously the heart pumping, your adrenaline, and all of that. Yeah, of course. But 
I didn't feel, had I killed a guy, I might've gone to a priest at some time and maybe made a confession, but I just felt like they were trying to kill me. And I just wanted to, you know, I no, do what it, I had to do. You well, know? well, the situation there was that he was driving the sergeant on Riverside Drive in 83rd Street about one o'clock in the morning. And the cab driver is parked on the side and is blinking the lights. And all of a sudden he sees the cab driver jump into the street and he says, he just stuck me up. And so the guy starts running in the park. And my partner, Lenny, he, run, he runs over and he, <clears throat> he yells, stop, halt. He fires one shot and he got the guy in the back of the head, DOA. And, that, that, wow. and then he got shook up. He you know, saw the body and, and then he disappeared. He went to the, like I said, to the priest. So, yeah. you know, it's the person himself, you know. Could you, know, back, could you back then uh, shoot a fleeing felon? Because that used to be the law. You used to be allowed to. Yeah. Oh, right. It was totally different. Then. Yeah. Now, now, forget it. Now, you can't shoot it. a guy shooting at you. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Actually, I would be in some trouble today to shot him. Oh my back. god. Yeah. 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 You know, really? a, a group of us uh, that had a carpool from Belmore into New York in the precinct, and one of us, one of the guys, and it happened in uh, Seaford. He was off duty. No, off duty. No, he's retired. And there was a stick up. I think it was in a, a pharmacy. And he ended up shooting the guy, killed him. And it was like a hero. Meanwhile, he had to go to trial. He, he went through hell. He says, I'm never carrying my gun again. And none of us, I, I still don't carry my gun. I got it locked away. I said, you, you can get in trouble today with just using your gun. Well, you know, there, I mean, there was a guy a couple of years ago in the 2-3. And he was a retired lieutenant. And he was driving some uh, Wall Street CEO. And a guy stuck up a pharmacy, and he can't because he comes out and he's shooting it out with the uniformed cops. And this retired lieutenant from a pretty far distance shoots the guy in the head wow. and uh, kills the guy. And yeah. the guy he killed was a real, real bad guy. He had like murdered two people in the East River uh, houses, and um, his boss gave him a lot of shit. He was like, "Why'd you have to get involved in a shooting? You're a retired lieutenant." He was like, hey, "Yeah, you know. I know, I know." It's yeah, Joe, I today. Joe, I respect what you said that you don't carry it. I was in a shootout like a month out of the police academy, and I have a gun glued to me just about everywhere oh, I go. Well, yeah, we'll see. And the yeah. reason I can't, I'm retired 18 years. And the reason I reason I carry it today is obviously, like you said, you can get in trouble like that. You could be right yeah. and you're wrong. But I feel like if I'm in a mall or a supermarket or Lowe's or Costco, wherever I am, and God forbid. There's some maniac with one of those AK-47s, and I got a shot. I think yeah, I would want to take it and maybe yeah. be able to to neutralize the threat. I'm I'm still a pretty good shot, and I think no, that I, you know, I, yeah. I'm pretty safe with it. So that's what's in the back of my head. I'm not carrying it to stop any kind of you know. No, I know. I know. Plus, you know, Joe, he may also have to go out and do some work. You know, <laughs> <laughs> he may get a job that he has to have that pistol with him. You know, yeah, that's that Doctor well, Stephen Waskell. Thank you so much for the fourteen ninety nine super chat. You're the man. Really appreciate you. Thank you so much. Um, here we are with Joe Cirillo, a cop really from another era when we talk about it. But it's amazing when he brought up some of the people in his book that I actually knew some of them. You know, and uh, maybe I'm an old bastard too. I don't know. <laughs> you know, but uh, I came on in eighty five. Joe Cirillo came on in nineteen fifty seven. My God. That seems Three like years I was, before I was born, by the way. Wow, oh, that, that's incredible. Oh, but look, look, look at the guy, though. If I could look like he does, man, at his age, I won't even tell, say how old he is because you know we had Joe Pistone on a couple of weeks ago. In fact, he's coming on again Monday with Bob oh, Starkman. We're having lunch together. Oh, that's just, great! But you like know, 12. the funny thing was, I gave it up. How old he was, and he was a little bit pissed at me. You know, oh, was, I, I don't mind. I don't. He was, mind. He was like, he, he gave me that you. look. Why you? Why you? Why are you telling everyone how old I am? I was like, My son Dennis, who's retired, is sixty six. So hey, that's yeah, right. you can guess my that's age great. if you want. Peter Pranzo, Lieutenant Peter Pranzo from the Harlem Raiders fame. Thank you so much for the five dollar super sticker. We appreciate it. And I said Pete's got a book waiting to be a movie too. But you know this stuff. You know one of the problems right now, even with like Randy Jurgensen, Circle of Six. What an amazing story. But with the anti-cop attitude now of the public and Hollywood, you don't know if a great story like that will ever get told because 
a lot of these Hollywood producers, you know, they're in the defund the police crowd, you know? It's true. It's true. There was a period not too long ago, in fact, that uh, I was told, don't even put your books out now because everybody's so anti-cop that nobody's going to look at it. You're not going to be hired for any jobs or anything. So I, I just lay low. That's it. But then I said I'd been working on this autobiography and I wanted to get it out there. I, I don't I didn't intend to hurt anybody. I don't think I hurt anyone in it. I kept it clean. And everything you read in that is no the one's going to read it if you kept it too clean. <laughs> but I might be a little here and there. You know. <laughs> Got some. I like the scene about you painting the naked girl <laughs> in art class. He took art class, you know. Right. I, right. I read all the good parts of the book, you know. That's right. I, you know, and that was a big help for me. I, I got out of the army, and I, I went. To, I was in CCMY. We got drafted, and instead of going back to college, I went to. This, it was called a cartoon and and an illustrating school and they changed it to the SVA school of visual arts and I studied there and I I did pretty well there and and from that they brought me down to headquarters you know to do the uh, uh, composite drawings and then later on they pulled me in because of my my uh, artistic talent they had me working for the commissioner for all the chiefs I I had the best job in the world. It really worked out fine for me. That's fantastic. But, Event yeah, New York so. City, thank you so much for the $15 super chat. I think that's your son. Thank you so much. We Who's that, Dennis? It. Yeah, $15. <laughs> you guys are keeping us in business. I feel like I got my SAG card. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, once once I uh, – I'll tell you a story how I stopped the acting, actually. I, I was with the Eyeshide series, and we were going to be canceled. Now, my wife let me stay out there. She came out occasionally. She was growing the kids. I was out in California. And so now the the Eyeshide, they came and said, we're, we're canceling the show in two weeks. So I called my wife and I said, they're canceling this show and I'll be home. She says, thank God you're coming home. So I said, okay. So now in the interim, the, 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 the head of casting at Universal, uh, he comes in on the set. I thought I thought he was going to see Joe Don Baker. I said, Comes over to me and he said, two pilots for me. I says, for me? He says, yeah. And Joe Don Baker said, oh, this is your big break, Joe. And the other actor was the lead. He says, Joe, this is it. You got it. I says, no, no, I I, I don't know. I better call my wife. They says, what are you, nuts? He says, you're going to you're gonna be a, a star. I says, no, I got to call my wife. So I got on the phone and I told her, honey, you know, they want me to do two pilots, so I don't know if I'm going to come home. Dead silence. And then I hear you come home or else. <laughs> and that was it. And I that, gave it up. Oh, I, I'm going to make an offer he couldn't refuse. Yeah. <laughs> That's another offer. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. There he I, is I, thinking about all the opportunities that because he was told you come home. You don't stay in California. <laughs> yeah. And, and what happened then? So I started the security business. And that turned very prosperous because we had Frank Sinatra as a client. And I was with almost I was with De Niro, Pacino, uh, Streisand, Tom Hanks, I, I'm the biggest stars in Hollywood. Here I am. How did you like working for? Uh, how did you like working for the chairman of the board? Frank Sinatra was great, great. Really? In fact, I opened the book with a story on him. I guess you read that. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. What's the but, story when they woke you up in the middle of the night with Sinatra in the hotel? Yeah. Can you tell us that one. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, you want to hear it? I'll tell you. Did you read it? <laughs> I, I didn't read it. No, I read. I read. Uh, what what, what happened? Story, was, but I didn't give the details. That, well, that's my opening story. What, what happened actually? Uh, uh, my I get a call two o'clock in the morning. I wake up and I say, "Well, who's this?" I pick up the phone. It's my guy who's doing security at the Waldorf, and that's with Sinatra. He's with Sinatra. So I said, "What's going on?" He says, "Joe, you're not going to believe this." I said, "What? What's the matter?" He said. Mr. Sinatra came out of his room totally nude, naked, and he went to the elevator and pushing the button. And he says, I, I said, what you do? He says, I ran over to him. I said, Mr. Sinatra, what do you do? And he was incoherent. I guess he was losing it then. So I said, well, what, what happened? What did you do? He said, I took off my jacket. I wrapped it around. I brought him back in the room and I put him in bed. I said, anybody see this? No, Joe, it's 2 o'clock in the morning, whatever it was. I saw her. I says, when the supervisor, my supervisor comes in, you tell him, but don't, don't spread this anywhere. So then I'm, I'm about to hang. He says, Joe, you're not going to believe this. I said, what? He says, he had a beer can hanging there. I said, a beer can? <laughs> Referring to his his, his man. 
Yeah, and he was, uh, well, I mean, they say he was uh, endowed. I I really don't know, but that's what they said, yeah. But I, well, how, I, did, how did he fit it in the hole of the beer can if I he was read. so endowed? <laughs> <laughs> what's up yeah, with so, that? Yeah, really, what's up with that? Know, and then I had my son working there, and my son was working there. I had my brother there. In fact, my brother, once he called him in the kitchen, and he had pizza with Sinatra in the kitchen. Yeah, Sinatra was a good guy, really. And and, and my youngest son worked there, too. And uh, he never saw Sinatra perform, so he talked to the secretary. They sent him down to Atlantic City, and they made him sit with Sinatra's wife, Barbara. So my wow. son was – yeah, and he's a big, big fan of Sinatra. And I also had him with uh, Barbara Streisand. He was a big uh, Streisand fan, so – yeah, she used the, to live on Central Park West. I don't know if she still does, but I used who's to see, that? Uh, Barbara Streisand. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm yeah. not sure. I, I, she, she was doing the movie Nuts, and, and we were her security for that. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. Hey, hey, yo, was was he drunk, Sinatra, when that happened, or he was just incoherent? No, I I think he was losing it. You know, it was towards okay. the end of his career. Okay. You know, he, he was getting a little senile or whatever. Maybe a little dementia. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Johnny Fontaine does not get that part. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. <laughs> right? That was supposed yeah. to be Sinatra, right? Yeah. yeah. That's yeah, the funny thing is, I, I actually, uh, when we were allowed to moonlight, I, I was hired to work uh, security at the Waldorf for Sinatra. And and I remember the first time, because I was a big Sinatra fan, and I remember being up on a late tour, and I'm looking under the door, and I could see his pacing, and, and, and I'm saying, wow, when, when, I want to see this guy. And all night long, I'm up, and I'm, at 7 o'clock in the morning, the door opens, he leans out, gets the newspaper, and he says, good morning, kid, how are you? And I said, oh, my God, it was like the Hallelujah Chorus, and God <laughs> came out. That's, that's how much I adored the man. He, he yeah. was also a pretty good actor, too. Uh, oh, yeah, he was. Yeah. yeah. And, and later years, I, when I was with Telly, I remember being in the um, at the casino with and Telly and, and, and Frank, Mr. Sinatra. I never called him Frank. <laughs> anyway, Mr. Sinatra and him were playing Baccarat. And uh, Vince Conti, who was in the Kojak series, was is, is, knew them both, of course. And he's talking to Frank and turns over a card. Then the next hand, he turns over another card, and, then he, and and he's still talking to me. He says, "Will you get the f out of here?" He says, "You just cost me ten thousand dollars." He's paying like five thousand dollars a card or something. I said, "Oh wow. Vince Vince Conte was that the lieutenant? No, no, no. He oh, Vince Conte Captain? was. He was no. He was. He had a lesser role. No, he was okay. a lesser role. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he played Rizzo. Rizzo in the oh, series. Oh, Rizzo. Yeah, sure, sure, Yeah, sure. that was Vince Conti. He actually, they, they're from Freeport. He was from Freeport, you know, out here. And uh, they became, he became Tully's friend, and Tully took him along. Yeah. So Tully took care of everybody, really, everyone. Where was it, the, it, where was Tully originally from? Was he a New York guy? Yeah, yeah. I, 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 he lived in the Bronx. He lived in, uh, in uh, on the island. He lived a few spots, but he was a New York guy. He worked in the uh, UN. Uh, I think it was an interpreter or something. And then they were doing this, uh, a live show on Lucky Luciano, and they needed somebody to play the role. And they didn't have. And they they asked him. He did the role, and that was his first role, and he became a star after that. Well, he probably he probably looked more like Italian than Greek because he yeah, was Greek, yeah. obviously, right? But yeah, he more, oh yeah, definitely. More Italian. Who loves you, baby? Right? That was that, his that's brand, right. right. Who loves? He, he had that real natural uh, New York way about him. That's why yeah, I think he definitely. so well. Oh yeah. Yeah. Every, everywhere we went, uh, no matter where, it's who loves your baby, who loves kiss you, baby? on the hand. I mean, he really schmoozed the woman. They loved him. Everybody loved him. Yeah. Hey, Joe, I got to ask you a question. There was a detective who's obviously infamous when I say his name, but he had claimed to be involved in a couple of Kojak episodes. Louis Impolito, sound familiar? Impolito. It sounds familiar, but what did he do? He he was one of the mob cops. He was actually later on after he retired, was uh, arrested in, and uh, convicted of uh, doing hits for the mafia. But I remember when I was in Brooklyn South in the 6 squad, I think he was in the, either in the 6-2 or the 6-3, and we yeah. would see him at functions and stuff. And he was talking about Telly Savalas. Remember when they had the show came back after a long hiatus? Yes, yes, yeah. And he was telling me about how Telly had problems with his feet, and they had the back of his shoes cut out or something. He had oh, problems yeah. with his feet or something. 
Yeah, and it, I I don't know because after that I I was more or less very busy with uh, my security business, and then I'd fly out to California to meet you know just to go out there to maybe go to dinner with Telly and his wife, and but uh, it, I was really busy in New York, but I didn't work in those uh, the after the, the shows after the Kojak series. Yeah, th th this was actually a Kojak series, but it had come back. I guess you, you might not have been involved in it, but he, I think yeah, he- Yeah, I remember them, yes. I think the, this detective I'm talking about was in a couple of scenes. I thought maybe you would have- uh, No, no, I didn't know him, no. He was no. a big blowhard anyhow, so. Uh, <laughs> Angela Ang, thank you so much for the 999 Super Chat. Thank all of our people that are in the live chat, you police off the cuff fans, real crime stories fans. You're going to see a lot more of uh, Phil Grimaldi because um, we're doing a lot of uh, real crime stories together. And we're also trying to uh, have the attorney Joe Murray in as our expert legal uh, counsel on some of these shows. And he, he never met a camera he didn't like either. So, uh, and he's great. He's great on these shows. But we're trying to do some more um, maybe national shows. And um, we did a show on. Um, Lauren uh, Spear, the girl who was missing for 10 years uh, from Indiana University. It's a real heartbreaking story for her uh, parents, but we're trying to get that case, uh, sort of uh, reignite some interest in that case and maybe, you know, from shaking the tree, maybe it'll get some more information on it. But Somebody uh, knows something about that young lady. 100% someone does, you know. Uh, Someone just wrote something, a good book, a good read, so many well-known people and stories you feel like you know them all because you've seen them on TV or in the movies. This is Dave Fisher speaking. And the oh. book is available on Amazon, actually available to order on Amazon. Joe Cirillo, a gentleman, a good cop, and a friend to many, and an actor in so many movies, makes his book all the more interesting. Get the book and enjoy every story wow. <laughs> Joe has to tell. Thank you, Joe, for all the interesting stories from your service. In the NY, well, from his service in the Korean War to his service in the NYPD to his service drawing naked women, all of that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is a great career. I, I, I was just watching um, The Son of Sam. Did you see that on Netflix? Yeah, yeah. And, and it, it brought back some, and I saw my buddy there. Anyway, when I was going to California, when I, you know, leaving the go with Telly, uh, a laid off cop became a reporter and he did a big story on me and uh, it was in, uh, I think Newsday or somewhere, but it was a nice story. And he met me and he says, Joe, do you mind if I come out to California with you? And I says, Oh, J Jim, I don't mind. Why not? So he came out with me and then he was, we were staying together and then my funds were a little low and we stayed with a friend of his for two weeks. Then we went to the hotel where Telly was living because Telly had a union problem getting me to work. So I had to wait until that was cleared up before I could work with Telly. So anyway, he's in the room with me every day. And uh, and then uh, he's on the phone a lot. And he says, Joe, don't worry, I'll, I'll pay the phone bill. I said, okay. So after quite a while, he says to me, Joe, I got to go back to New York. I says, why are you going back? I says, he says no, I'm going back. I'm going to get arrested. I said, arrested for what? He says, I'm the mystery man. I said, what mystery man? I'm the guy who's got the pictures of uh, David Berkowitz in the cell. I'm the one who's calling. He's on the phone. That's his phone calls with to the, the cop in, in at Kings County. He was getting all the information, feeding them to the newspapers, and they arrested him for that when he got back. And, and I just saw it on Son of Sam, one of the episodes. Well, so here I am. I said, today they probably arrest me for harboring a criminal. You know? <laughs> here he is in my room. You know, Joe, they, they, Joe. He, show, he showed me a paper with David Berkowitz's signature on it. Yeah, it's amazing. Crazy. Joe, Crazy. you know something? We should probably have you back on one time, but we're coming up on a very close to an hour. And okay. we usually don't like to go beyond an hour because no, uh, we I don't want to tempt, tempt our fans. But I just want to thank you for coming on. It's such a refreshing hearing all your great stories. And uh -huh. I want to put on the screen. I want to put your book on so people know where. There's the oh, book, Joe you. Cirillo, an offer I couldn't refuse from the NYPD to Hollywood. You can get it on Amazon. He's got some really unbelievably interesting stories in his book. And, you know, go on Amazon, order the damn book, you know. <laughs> Eat it at home. You know, enjoy some of these, these stories. They're really great stories, and I think you'll love them. Um, Phil. 
You got any last words? Oh, yes, I do. Real quick. <laughs> Yo, you have no idea what a pleasure this was for me because oh, growing up pleasure. as a kid. No, no, I got to tell you, growing up as a kid, I watched Kojak religiously. French Connection was my favorite movie. That's what made me aspire to be a detective in the NYPD, and I, I accomplished that. And The Godfather, all the things that we talked about was just part of my youth. And oh, uh, it was just great, great. Uh, talking about it with you. And I can't tell you uh, what a thrill it is and uh, being part of well, this. It, uh, it was my pleasure. Believe me, I love yeah. talking about it. So. Thank you very much. I really thank, thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Bill. Awesome. Thank you so Joe, much. Joe, if you have any last words, you want to shout out to anyone, this is your last 30 seconds to do it. Well, you know, thank you for the big plug. I, I, I never pay agents 10%, though. I have to pay you 10% now. <laughs> no, you, you don't. No, you my don't. Book. <laughs> you don't uh, thank you that. so much, both of you. I really enjoyed this. Okay, really great. enjoyed it. On behalf of Police Off the Cuff, Phil Grimaldi, and we'd like to thank uh, Joe Cirillo for coming on the show. He was a fantastic guest. Good night, everybody. Good, Good, night. Night. Good night. Stay safe. Good night now.